See? No. <laughs> Praise God. Good morning again. Awesome. Hey, turn with me to Genesis 18. Genesis 18. And before we do, I want to make sure that uh, I'm not always so good with, with details, I realize. So with the facility, just to answer some of your questions, not all of your questions, but we are still continuing to pursue a particular facility. We're asking for God's favor as we make proposals on a particular facility. It's off of Arrow Highway and as we get closer, maybe I can give you more details. And then, but there are a few other things that we're actually are kind of on the back burner too. That we're saying, well, hey, let's keep pushing on it. Really, what we have from the Lord is the Lord's told us to look and to make proposals, and we're 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 waiting on Him as we're listening. So, but we make the proposals as we sense from the Lord, and uh, and I believe He's going to come through. So it's a it's a matter of having patient faith. We don't we don't bring it up here so we can have hype or. Anything like that, but it's a matter of us together believing God with patient faith for Him to do what He wants to do. Amen? And then, uh, for those of you who know Brian Stevens, who went to be with the Lord last week, uh, we're going to have a memorial for him this coming Saturday, and we don't know exactly where the location will be or the exact details. If you would like to know more about that memorial, if you'd like to come, to the memorial, most likely it'll be like 11.30, it'll be one of those like late mornings, have a lunch kind of a thing. If you'd like to come, please, uh, well, I guess you already wrote on your connect cards, darn. <laughs> uh, just uh, if you could just let me know or write it on the connect card and get it back to the back. We'll make sure you have the details. We'll be sending out an email and things like that to make sure you know. But uh, there was just some of the details of where that we weren't 100% sure on yet. It's so important, those of you who knew him or that we grieve, that we release him to the Lord. But as believers, we don't grieve without hope. But there's a joy that many of you know. He came to the Lord. He was worshiping the Lord with his gifts here uh, in our worship teams and, and before he went to be the Lord. So though we grieve our loss and we hate that uh, cancer took him out, yet we rejoice that he's with the Lord. And so our rejoicing doesn't diminish our grieving but our grieving is not without hope. We grieve with hope. We grieve with joy. And so it's important that we have a memorial where we can honor him and where we can uh, remember him and where we can release that grief to the Lord, okay? And so those of you who need to do that, we would like you to do that and be there with us. Uh, and so no, no expectation that you're there, but uh, if you'd like to be. All right, so please let me know. Write it on the card or tell me or something like that, but we'll get an email out. Okay, so... Uh, yeah, so Genesis 18, I want to tell you a story today and walk us through Genesis 18 and tell you a story about a man who encountered God. I want to tell you about a man who got his breakthrough in Genesis 18. It's the story of Abraham getting a breakthrough with God. And so just so you understand a little bit of the context of this, Abraham is an old man at this time, Sarah and Abraham Abraham is about 100 years old. Sarah is a little bit younger than him. And they are past the age of childbearing completely. In the natural, it's impossible to, for them to have children. And yet 25 years before this event, 25 years before this, God came to Abraham. His name had been Abram before it was changed. God came to Abraham and said to him, I'm going to give you descendants like the stars of the sky. I'm going to give you a son. 
And this son is going to come through your body and through the body of uh, 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 Sarah. Meaning, uh, it's not going to be a, you're not going to adopt, which adopting is good. But he's just saying, you're going to have a biological descendant. God made a promise to Abraham 25 years before this story. And so you've got to understand that this man named Abraham, he's walked by faith for 25 years. He's been a a worshiper of the Lord, and the Bible says he was strengthened in faith, giving glory to God in Romans 4. It says that he did not waver in unbelief. Can you imagine that? For 25 years, he continued to tell himself and declare in faith, Lord, I thank you that you're faithful. You made that promise. I know that it's impossible in the natural, but you're going to give me a child. Lord, it's impossible. The Bible says against all hope, in hope, he believed, not wavering in faith, but being fully convinced that God was able to do what he said he would do and that he was strengthened in faith, giving glory to God. How is it that he continued to walk by faith for 25 years, not seeing any way in the natural that this thing could happen? Because he gave glory to God. See, what have we been learning? We've been learning that we need the presence of the Lord, that without him, We can do nothing. Jesus said, I'm the vine, you're the branches. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Now, he doesn't mean like brush your teeth and drive a car. And he's not talking about that. He's saying that it's impossible to be like Christ without Christ. And it's impossible to fulfill your God-given calling to make disciples of Jesus Christ, right? the Great Commission, without Christ. You can only become the person and do what God has called you to do, to become the person God has called you to be, and to do what God has called you to do with Christ. And he's saying to us that without me, you can do nothing. But he's with us, isn't he? The great commission comes with the great promise we've been learning. I'm always with you. And we've been learning that to the degree that we believe God is with us is the degree that we will see the power of God happen in our lives. It's it's to the degree that you believe God is with me, God is for me, that He will produce His character in me, the fruit of His Spirit in me. He will produce the character of Christ in me, that He has called me to partner with Him, to bring glory to Him on the earth, to make disciples, and it's impossible without Him, but He's with me. He wouldn't have called you if He didn't believe that He, by His power, could make you successful in His will. I don't mean, you know, some self-help thing or some, uh, uh, you know, positive thinking, uh, be successful in your life. I'm talking about what He called you to do, right? Go make disciples of all nations. My goodness, how are we going to do that? I'm with you. I will empower you to do what I called you to do. You read the Bible and it says, love your wives as Christ of the church. What do most of us do? Just close the Bible and just whatever. You know? <laughs> See, because when we don't believe that God is with us, we either lower the standard or give up or just become some religious fanatic who, who defines holiness by outward things, right? Well, I, I, I do all these religious things and so I can, I'm better than you, right? There, 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 there's really... Very few options if we're not depending on Him. How is it that a wife can respect her husband, as the Bible says, to do that? How can, the, how can a husband love his wife as Christ of the church, as the Bible calls us to do that? Man, it's impossible, except that He would empower us to do it. And that's why we've been learning. We need His presence, don't we? We need His presence. We need to be aware of and tuned into 
the fact, the truth, reality is with us. And we've been realizing that the way to do that is through praise. That we tune into His presence through praise. The Bible says He inhabits the what of His people? He inhabits the praises of Israel, the Bible says in Psalm 22. Be filled with the Spirit, speaking psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs to one another in love. That verse comes right before the commandment to respect husbands and to love wives. Why? Because you can't do it if you're not filled with the Spirit, right? Being filled with the Spirit is the only way to fly. It's the only way to be a Christian is to be filled with the presence of the Spirit, the Spirit of Christ. So how do you be filled with the Spirit? Be filled with the Spirit. Speaking psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs from one another in love. We've been learning that we need to be a people of praise if we're going to be a people of His presence. And here's the great thing. Because He's with us and in us and for us, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Amen? Can He love? Can Jesus obey God? That was a question. Can Jesus love? Can Jesus walk by faith? Can Jesus raise the dead? Nothing is impossible to God, amen? But Jesus told us nothing is impossible to him who believes in Christ as well. So if he can do it, if he can obey God, you can obey God. Not by your own human effort, but when you walk in the Spirit. We need his presence. We need his presence. And the evidence that we're depending on God and walking in His Spirit, filled with His Spirit, abiding in His presence, is a lifestyle of prayer and worship. At least that's a one key aspect. And so in Genesis 18, we see a man who's been living by faith for 25 years, strengthened in faith, giving glory to God. We see a man who's been waiting and waiting and waiting, and that's not easy. It's not easy. Every, can you imagine every birthday for him and his wife? He'd remember, we don't have a child yet. But God said, right? That's how faith reasons. You know how unbelief reasons, right? Well, I know God said, but... But faith reasons, I know we can't have a kid, but God said. That's how faith reasons. And so for 25 years or so, he has been standing in faith and being a man of praise and a man of God's presence. And in Genesis 18, God encounters him and Abraham receives a breakthrough. And the Lord wants you to get a breakthrough today. In fact, Kurt didn't even know what I was preaching on. He said, Dave, I hear from the Lord. The Lord wants to give good gifts today and have people open presents. That's a good word, amen? That's exactly what I heard from the Lord. Show them how to get a breakthrough today. Genesis 18, a man got a breakthrough with God. And I'm going to show you how to get your breakthrough from the Lord. Verse, eight, verse 1, Genesis 18. I'm going to read this story, so follow with me here. Then the Lord appeared to him, to Abraham, by the terebinth trees of Mamre. As he was sitting in the tent in the door, I'm sorry, in the, heat, uh, in the tent door in the heat of the day. So he, Abraham, lifted his eyes and looked, and behold, three men were standing by him. And when he saw them, he ran from the tent door to meet them and bowed himself to the ground and said, My Lord, if I have now found favor in your sight, do not pass on by your servant. Please let a little water be brought and wash your feet and rest yourselves under the tree. And I will bring you a morsel of bread that you may refresh your hearts. After that, you may pass by inasmuch as you have come to your servant." 
So Abraham is sitting at the tent door uh, among some trees. And it's amazing that, like we would say, uh, down on the corner by the Walmart, you know, they just say by those trees. And it'd be, it's crazy because probably hundreds of years after this story, the trees were still there. I mean, it's awesome, right? And uh, so here he is sitting by these trees. He's a nomad. He does not, he's sitting on the land God has promised him, but he doesn't own the land yet. And he's sitting there and he sees three men coming. And many times people ask me, man, I mean, is this like a symbol of the Trinity? I mean, how did he know it was God? Did he know it was God? We, honestly, we don't know. We don't know if at first he knew that this was the Lord or not. Now, we do know later in the text, later in Genesis 18, it says two of the men went down to Sodom and Gomorrah, and the Bible calls them angels. And so it's possible that one of these is the Lord and the other two are angels. It's also possible this is a picture of the Trinity. I mean, honestly, we have no idea because the Bible doesn't make it all that clear. But one thing's for sure, whether Abraham knew that, they were, that it was God or not at first, he figures it out by the end of the story. But at least he sees some men coming towards him. I always wonder, like, maybe they were glowing or they looked like royalty. But the Bible doesn't say that. You know what I'm saying? But either way, Abraham knew something's going on. And so it says he got up and he ran and he bowed down at their feet. And he basically is asking them, please let me give you some water for your feet. Let me wash your feet. Let me give you a little bit of bread and just to refresh you. And he's offering them, if you will, the sign of ancient Near East hospitality. The ancient Near East is simply the the time and the place, uh, the place that we now call the Middle East, but it's the, what we call the ancient Near East. And in that, that time, people would offer these acts of hospitality. It was common for them to do that. And he's coming to this, uh, this, uh, these three men and saying, you know, can I, can I wash your feet? Can I give you some bread so you can be refreshed on your journey? And they said, end of verse 5, then they said, do as you have said. Verse 6, so Abraham hurried into the tent to Sarah and said, Quickly, make ready three measures of fine meal, knead it and make cakes. And Abraham ran to the herd, took a tender and good calf, gave it to a young man, and he, that young man, hastened to prepare it. Basically killed the young calf, cooked it, and prepared some, some, some nice meat. Verse 8, So he, Abraham, took butter and milk and the calf which he had prepared and set it before them, And he stood by them under the tree as they ate. Okay, let's stop there for a second. A couple years ago, I mean, I don't know, at least like a year and a half ago, it was a while ago. I remember it was early in the morning, and I I think maybe it was a day off or something, and I woke up, and I grabbed my my Bible, probably my iPad, uh, and I, I grabbed it, and I went to go read this story. I think it was simply the passage that was in the reading plan for the day, I just grabbed my Bible and was sitting there in bed. And even before I read verse 1, or like right when I read verse 1, I remember it was very, very pointed when God said it to me. I began to just read verse 1, and the Lord said, this is how you host my presence. And I kind of, hmm? What, Lord? It was one of those... What do, you, what do you mean by that? It's not necessarily something I would, language I would use or something I would think of. The Lord said, this is how you host my presence. Host his presence. Well, what do you mean? You know, I, you know, I started thinking in your own brain, like, what does he mean? So I started reading, just like what I read you. And I read how Abraham ran. You see that? 
He ran to these men. I saw that Abraham bowed on the ground and offered them just a little bit of bread. But you notice he goes far beyond his offer. He says, hey, let me just give you a little piece of bread. You notice that in verse 5? Let me just give you a little piece of bread. But he goes far beyond his initial invitation. And you notice the whole story he's running? So he, so he gets off the ground and he runs to his wife. Quick, prepare the bread. Runs to his servant. Get a good calf. I know this is a young calf, expensive, tender meat. Kill it, prepare it, cook it. To offer these men a meal that would be very expensive, very honoring. And then he runs and he gets it all ready and brings it to them. And what does he do when he brings it to them? He stands and waits for them to eat. And I thought, this is how you host the presence of God? And so since that time, about a year, a half ago or so, I would read this story. Maybe every once in a while I'll read this story and I'll think about it. And I'll just think, what does that mean to host the presence of God? Think about that. What does that mean? The Lord was giving me an invitation for for my life, but I knew he was speaking to us for our church. In fact, as I was uh, meditating on this again, coming to getting close to this Sunday for the last few weeks, I have felt this weight on this message, like a trembling. And if you've never felt that before, what I mean is that I could sense something awesome, kind of scary, about what God wants to teach us. The Lord was showing me this is how you host my presence. He's inviting us to deal with Him, to respond to Him in an appropriate manner to the weightiness of His glory. He's inviting us to respond appropriately to Him, honor Him, and to give Him what's due Him. I could just sense it even a year and a half ago and even as I was preparing, as I've meditated on it. So, And so the Lord was speaking to me, this is how you host my presence. I began to think about, what does that mean to host somebody? What does it mean to host, to be a host? And and, And I'll tell you, in the ancient Near East, as I kind of mentioned briefly, in the ancient Near East, they had a very, very high value of honor and hospitality. If you were to compare their culture and our culture in terms of the value of hospitality, they would be a 10 and we would probably be a 1, if that. We in our culture do not understand hospitality. In many ways, the form of hospitality that operated in the ancient Near East has been replaced by restaurants, hotels, bed and breakfasts, Things like that. We're very individualistic. But in their culture, they did not have restaurants. They did not have uh, hotels. They didn't have hospitals. They didn't have anything like that. What they had was each other. It was a very communal society. Now, anybody traveling in the ancient Near East, number one, was a potential threat. 
Anybody could be a spy. Anybody could be coming to take your land. They always lived with that sense of a threat. In a, you know, think, think of the Wild West in that sense, but just very different. But just think of like you're, you're working your land and there's, there's no policemen. There's nobody. You lived in communities, therefore. You lived in villages. You lived in clans where you would take care of each other. And if there was drought or famine or, or catastrophe, you would help one another. And that's, of course, what you see in the, in, in the Bible. You see people coming together to fight or help each other, that kind of thing. And they lived in that community based on co- excuse me, covenant. But also because you would probably find yourself traveling one day in the ancient world and need a place to sleep that would be safe instead of out in the wild where it might, might be wild beast, or you might need some help along the way, like a, some water or some food, then, then what, create, what was created in the ancient world was this understanding that we would offer one another hospitality. I would offer you hospitality, a stranger, and I would turn a potential threat or stranger into, if you will, a short-term friend, with the understanding that I may never meet you again, but you'll do it for somebody else, and if maybe I come across your path, you'll do it for me. And so what happened was there became this mutual need for interdependence and helping one another. And in our culture, like I said, if I go on a trip, I'm not thinking I'm going to stay at someone's house most of the time, unless, of course, you have a friend that lives so and somewhere. No, I'm thinking I'm going to get a hotel room. And if I need some food, I'm probably not going to knock on someone's door or someone's not going to find me in the center of the city and say, hey, brother, uh, would you come into my home and I'll give you some food, right? But even in the New Testament, in Hebrews, we're told to entertain or be hospitable to strangers because you could entertain angels. It's an allusion to this story. And we're commanded in Romans chapter 12 as the body of Christ to practice hospitality. What does that look like for us even to host one another? Even though we don't have a huge value of hospitality, I wouldn't say that we're so horrible. But a lot of times there really is no instruction, no, if you will, cultural norms in America at least, as to what you're to do when someone comes to your home. Many times people were not trained to be hospitable. But think of the basics. Just think of like the basics. What do you do when someone comes to your home? I mean, the basic is, hey, would you like something to drink? Right? And if you didn't know that, that's exactly what you're to do, by the way. Hey, would you like something to drink? And, 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 and sometimes you would offer food. I mean, there are cultures in the world today that they will ask you if you want food. They mean a whole meal. You say, no, that's no, okay. I'm, I'm not hungry. Okay, I'll make you some food. Right? Have you ever seen My Big Fat Greek Wedding? She says, oh, would you, are you hungry? No, no, I'm not hungry. She says, oh, I'll make you a meal. And she you know, makes a huge meal because she is being hospitable. And actually, in many cultures, you're actually to say, oh, no, that's okay. You're actually supposed to say that, and they're supposed to interpret it as, I'll ask again, because you actually say, no, thank you, because you don't want to be a threat. In our culture, who knows? We'll say, no, thank you. We mean it. Sometimes we don't mean it. I mean, who knows, right? I have no idea. Honestly, there's no rules in our culture. It becomes confusing. 
But honestly, somebody comes over to your home, the, the first thing you do is you open the door, right, promptly, you welcome them in, you tell them where to sit, because they don't have a clue where to sit. Go here, sit down, would you like some water? And, and you give them your attention, yes? You give them yourself, you, you, you talk with them and, 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 and that kind of a thing. Those are the basics of hospitality. And honestly, I think as, as, we as a, we as a church, we want to grow in this area of hospitality with one another. Practicing, uh, having people over to our home. But even if you say, well, I can't invite people over to my home, going out to lunch, taking them to lunch or dinner, that's hospitable. Or you say, well, I don't have the money to do that. Well, then going to a park or something. We can cultivate hospitality and friendship and offer people our time, our food, that kind of a thing. We can offer that to people. That's a form of giving. Did you know that? We, we give to the poor. We give our money to honor the Lord and to, and to fuel mission and evangelism and things like that. That You guys just honor the Lord with your giving. But we also give in the sense of relationship. We give in the sense of our time. We give in the sense of our presence. And we give people our food. When somebody comes over to my house, mikasa sukasa. If they're hungry, I'm going to feed them. If I have something to eat, they can have anything. There's no like, oh, that's my favorite thing, though. That's not hospitality. And yet many people were either raised that way or act that way. That's not hospitality. Somebody comes over to your house, and you think, I'm not going to offer them that, right? What do we, we teach our children? Share, share. But we don't really do it ourselves, right? And so that favorite candy or that favorite dessert or something like that that you have, or you only have one more yogurt or one more thing of uh, ice cream or one more sip of uh, milk, what do you do? You give it. That's hospitality. And so what we see here uh, in the ancient world is that it was normal to say, hey, can I wash your feet? Because they walked with sandals and their feet would be dirty and it was a sign to usually you probably just offer them the water, that kind of a thing. And also it was, re- it was a normal to offer them a piece of food. But do you see how Abraham goes above and beyond? So this is what I began to meditate on over the, over the years. I, I understand some of the cultural implications of this text, but I began to think, Lord, what does this look like to host your presence? What does that mean? What is hospitality towards God look like? What would I do if God came to my house? And what is the Bible, what is the Lord saying? And so I was, I honestly felt like the Lord was speaking to me a bit in a mystery. Does it make sense? Like a, like a parable saying, do you see how Abraham ran? Do you see how he bowed? Do you see how he prepared and hastened the food? Do you see how he gave, went above and beyond and gave this calf that would have cost him something and do you see how he stood like a waiter would do right not sitting necessarily as an equal not that it's wrong for you and i to sit with people who come over to our home but abraham senses somewhat of a weight on this person who's come to his home i believe he did know it was the lord personally he knows this is god and he prepares this and he stands and he waits just like a waiter would do. Can I, can I refill your cup? Serving you. By the way, when a waiter is serving you, they're still a human, right? Say please, say thank you, tip them well. Okay. It drives me nuts 
One, that Christians don't tip well sometimes. But it also drives me nuts when I see people act as if that person is their slave. No one is, should be treated that way, right? Okay. I just, hey, I got the mic so I can say stuff, okay? So, what do you see? I see humility. I see honor. I see eagerness and urgency. See that? I see like an expectation, a desire, a fervency. Man, I've got I to gotta bless this person. I've got to honor them. I've got to do something. And I see an attentiveness, an attitude of serving. Do you see that? An attitude that this person is more honorable than me. In cultures of honor, you always know who's more honorable. Like in Asian cultures, certain Asian cultures... The younger always bows lower than the older. They always know who's older. And they know based on position. And they do certain physical acts to express that honor. Now we do this a little bit in our culture, but again, not much. If you truly honor somebody, we still will shake their hand as equals and look them in the eye. In fact, in our culture, looking someone in the eye is honoring. In other cultures, you don't look somebody, an, uh, an authority in the eye. It makes missionary work kind of confusing, but uh, cross-cultural missionary work confusing. But in our culture, you shake their hand, you look them in the eye, and it's a matter of honor, at least with men. I, I mean, I don't know, with women, I guess I'm talking about the cult, men honor culture. And we look each other in the eye, but with somebody who's above you, you may do even something more. You may, oh, thank you, sir. You may, you may use a slightly different language, even in our culture. In fact, I actually, by the way, I call many men, I will call sir, often. Because I want to honor men, by the way. I do that. If you ever hear me call you sir, I am saying that on purpose because I want to honor you, by the way. Okay. So, what does it look like? What would you do if a dignitary, a royal, a person of authority, a famous person came to your house? Now, again, in our culture, we don't like, you know, authority. It's, you know, the whole Revolutionary War thing. But I believe in authority and honor. And so pick somebody, is there, have you ever had somebody in your life that you trembled in their presence? What, you, I, I don't tremble, nervous, butterflies, a little sweaty. Have you ever had a person in your life that you so valued, honored, feared that you were a little nervous in their presence? You watched your words, you watched your actions, you were much more cognizant of your own movements. What, how would you prepare your home if a king or queen or, or governor or president were coming to your home? Think about that. Now, see, Michelle and I, we like to have people over our home because we actually uh, only clean our house for you. No, I'm just joking around. I'm messing around. No, we clean our house regularly. But when someone's going to come over to your house, you're going to have a group or something like that, you know, like Jamie and Fred, they hosted our life group last year on Wednesday nights, and, and prepared their home. She, she would clean it, and all, she'd work hard, but she'd actually make sure there was coffee ready. She couldn't be there sometimes. She'd make sure the coffee was there. She was hosting us, right? I remember watching that movie, The King's Speech, which I think is a very inspiring movie. It's about the king of England in the time of World War II who could not uh, speak without a stutter, and he actually had a speech coach, and at the I won't tell you about the movie, but it was just very inspiring. I don't want to ruin it if you haven't seen it. It's a good movie. And, but one point, 
this speech coach, uh, I'm sorry, the king came over to the speech coach's home and was, they were talking and the speech coach's uh, wife shows up with the kids in the home and the speech coach hides the king. This, I've never told my wife, you're the one I'm coaching. Bad move, husband, right? So the king is in her home. Every woman goes, ah, right? It's your home, you know? And, and, and so the guy's trying to hide the king, and finally the king is like, oh, it was the king and queen actually were there, I forget. It was the king and the queen were both there, and the king and queen are like, we're not going to hide. So they walk out, and they present themselves to this man's wife, and she at one point is like, oh, hi, you know, king and queen kind of doing the honor thing, and, uh, and the other is her eye is like looking at her husband like, I'm going to kill you. You know, you didn't tell me, I couldn't prepare my home. Why? Because when somebody that you honor is going to come, ladies, you want to prepare, you want things clean, you want things nice. I mean, sometimes ladies won't invite people to their home because it's not as perfect as they want. And I I would say, I'll let you know, it doesn't need to be perfect. Clean bathrooms, clean floors, you know, it's it's okay. People are good. But, but, But she was, you know, nervous. And honestly, I've been there. I've had people in my life that I so honored. I've become more confident, uh, but it hasn't diminished my honor of certain people. There are people I so honor that I watch my words around them. I don't mean that I like cuss when they're not around. I don't mean that. I mean I watch my words that they're even that much more focused or honoring. I watch myself. There are people that I so honor them, whether it's because, usually it's because they love the Lord and they're what I would call apostolic leaders in the church. I usually, I value humility and godliness, right? But even if I met a leader of another country, I would want to show that kind of honor. If somebody comes over to my house, I want to show them the basics of hospitality. I want to prepare my house and clean it and offer water or offer some food. But if somebody of that much more weight were to come to my house, the word glory means weight. When somebody of glory, of greater glory or weightiness than us, we are to honor them. So think about it. How would you honor God if he were to show up at your house? This is exactly what Abraham's doing. Abraham is thinking, this is God. And he shows God the honor and the hospitality that God is due him. And notice what happens in verse 9. Verse 9, then they said to him, this is the three men, God, then they said to him, where is Sarah your wife? And Abraham says, so he said, here in the tent. And he said, God said, I will certainly return to you according to the time of life, and behold, Sarah, your wife, will have a son. Now, Listen here for a second. God has already promised Abraham will have a son. God has already promised Sarah will have, be the one to bear that son. What's different about those words than every other time God promised it? For 25 years, Abraham has been waiting on a promise. Here's the difference. God says, I will certainly return to you according to the time of life. Meaning... You're going to have a baby in nine months. Let me just tell you, those of you, you, there's a huge difference between hearing God give you a promise and hearing God release the power.
power with his words for you to receive that promise. There's a difference between receiving the package and opening the package. Do you you flow with me? If God says to you, soon, don't think that means months. How many people in the Bible and even in my own life, God says, I'm going to do something soon. Jesus said, I'm coming soon. It's been 2,000 years. When God says to you, get ready, that does not necessarily mean months. In fact, I remember when the Lord, years ago, said, get ready to rent your house. My brain calculated about six months. That took about two or three years. I can't remember exactly. That was what he meant by get ready. Now that has happened. But there's a difference between hearing the word of the Lord that says prepare, or I'm promising it to you, which is an invitation for you to believe him. When you hear a promise from God, get ready to be tested and get ready to persevere in faith like Abraham. And we've talked about that a lot as a church. But listen, we can't just be people who are always waiting on God as if we're always going to be, have to walk in patient faith. There is a breakthrough, amen? There is a day when he doesn't tell you he will do it, but he says, now. So when you hear God say things like, it's time, or now, or things move into alignment, and, 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 and you, okay, God, is this it? Yes. Some of you are waiting on God for a spouse. You don't just jump on it, right? We don't need any hagars. We don't need any, you know, oops. No, you wait on the Lord. You wait on the Lord. You, you walk in purity and wait till the Lord brings that person, and then you get married, covenant, and then you seal that covenant with sex instead of before. You wait on the Lord. But there is a time when God says, that's the one. Do you see what I'm saying? There's a time when the Lord says, it's going to happen. And this is what God does. Listen though, Abraham and Sarah would not have received the breakthrough if they didn't host the presence. God responds to your response. It's absolutely by His grace. He's absolutely the initiator. He makes the promise. He wouldn't have made the promise if he didn't love you and love Abraham. He comes to you. He's the one initiating. He's the one encountering Abraham. But listen, he responds to your response. He honors those who honor him. If Abraham missed God, he wouldn't have received the breakthrough. Or at least he would have had to wait. God is gracious. He got the breakthrough because he hosted the presence. Do you see that? He, he ran, he served, he stood, and then it says, then God said, then God said. And there are countless examples in the Bible that God is gracious to us, but he responds to our response. It's like tennis. He does the serving, you got to hit it back. And I'll tell you, the ball's in your court. We need to be like people like Abraham who walk by faith constantly giving glory to God. Be filled with the Spirit, speaking psalms and spiritual songs to one another in love. But what happens when God shows up? You say, well, Dave, God's always here. Oh, yeah? Well, maybe we should act a certain way. See, Sunday morning, we want to host those of, those of you who are guests with us. We want to host those who are newcomers. We think of this like our living room, and we host, and we try to have coffee. People have said, why, should we, why do we have coffee? I go, because we're hosting people. 
The worship team, they practice and they work hard and they try to be great musicians and they're improving all the time because why? They are hosting you. They are serving you. Yes, it is an act of service to usher people into the presence of God. But who is our honored guest? Why are we here? If it wasn't for Jesus, we wouldn't be here. And I know the Lord is saying, what will you do and how will you honor me when I show up? We can't take worship casually, can we? We can't take worship flippantly. The Lord hosts our presence, Psalm 23. He prepares a table before us in the presence of my enemies. He anoints my head with oil. My cup runs over. He blesses us. He hosts us. I could equally preach that message, but the Lord is saying, this is how to host my presence. We need to be people that host the presence of God because he'll bless us. So how can you prepare your heart like you would prepare your home? Maybe, maybe by not staying up too late on a Saturday, maybe getting rest, maybe, maybe spending time that night to pray or to worship or to read the word, or maybe waking up in the morning to pray in the spirit and to worship, maybe giving God a sacrifice of praise all week and being somebody who's ready to come and encounter the Lord, preparing your heart to receive him. Maybe coming with an expectation that you're going to give God something today. Not passively like they, the worship team, are going to serve you, but that you're a member of the choir here to give God the glory, do His name, and they to serve you and to usher you and lead you into it. Maybe coming on time with expectation, with hunger, desire. Maybe standing in attention. Like I said, and, and, and I don't even mean that we ought to stand the whole time. You know, some of you, man, I've got to sit down. But what I mean is there's a reason we stand, kneel, dance. We saw that last week in the scripture that the Bible calls us to various expressions like shouting and clapping and dancing and singing a new song and, and bowing. What would it look like that from the moment that, that first chord is played on the guitar or on the piano that we're like, I'm here. God, you're worthy of my praise. I give you my life. I give you all my heart. I come and worship you. What happens when someone comes to your house, you give them your full attention, you are fully present to them. What would it look like for you to be fully present to God? That you would give God your full mental attention, your full uh, emotional attention to say, God, I'm setting aside my distractions, my, my worries, even my own shame. Thank you that you forgive me. Setting aside what I have to do tomorrow and what I'm worried about from yesterday. And right here and right now, I give you a sacrifice of praise. I give you my time and my energy and my life, and I worship you. I have to do that often to align myself with the reality of who I'm worshiping. And I have to remind myself, I'm coming before the King of kings and the Lord of lords who is worthy of all worship, and my dad who really likes me. I mean, I have to remind myself with the sacrifice he made and give to him to do his name. And so the moment that chord plays... Oh, I'm here, Lord. And whether it would be you bowing or dancing or hands raised or, or, or even silence at times, right? That he comes and we just say the most appropriate thing would be silent. Sometimes the most appropriate thing is to be loud. But the point is that we would prepare our hearts, that we would come and give him that offering, and that when he does come, there's reasons why sometimes we linger in silence or in singing a new song. Because we don't want to move on. And do you notice that God gave a word to Abraham and Sarah that released the power for her to conceive a child? And she did. There are times when we receive prophetic words here at this church. We can't just move on. We must respond. Amen? So the Lord is inviting us, 
host my presence as a church. Host my presence every day in your life. Give me that time. Give me that sacrifice of praise. But as a church, come to me with that expectation, that hunger. Come to me with that, with that attitude of service and humility and honor. And I believe both today and in the future, if we'll worship the Lord like that, that's what will prepare us for breakthrough. Today, as we respond in worship, believe that as you worship the Lord, He would give you the word that would release breakthrough in your life, the thing that you're desiring and believing God for. I'm sure Abraham and Sarah weren't sure if it was ever going to happen, but it did, right? How do you know that today's not your day? How do you know? You only know because you look up and you'll see God coming towards you. And you and I, if we don't have a lifestyle of worship, we won't know how to respond. When he shows up, you must respond. Does it make sense? And if you'll host his presence, breakthrough. And if it's not today, it'll be tomorrow or the next day. You've got to walk in patient faith. And when the Lord speaks, we believe. We say, yes, Lord. Like Mary, let it be unto me according to your word. And she conceived a child. Right? Let's do it. Let's worship the Lord. Let's go ahead and stand. The worship team is going to lead us in worship. So let's give our whole heart. Let's give all of our attention to the Lord. Let's toast His presence.